0: Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey everyone, I want to introduce
1: you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kulositap, an Amazon guru that
0: has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. And In introducing the other half of the Product Boss, Jacqueline Snyder.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my beautiful co-host, Mina kunlo CTEP. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. I'm so excited about our episode today. Today, we are going to talk about how to get ahead of your competition. And this is something that we have been experiencing personally, where we have been Customers of products and businesses where we've been really disappointed in their, like in the customer service and in it, which has actually forced our hand into kind of moving on to their competition. Or we have been so excited about some businesses that we've worked with that it's really just strengthened our love of the brand and has really created that halo effect where we have an overall just great view of the business. So, are you ready?
0: Yeah. It's been fun living real life. And then when you have experiences and you're like, Hey, this would be a great talking point on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And and it's
1: interesting. is like, we've actually experienced it with a couple of our masterminders or we've been working with them on their, of the experience of the brand. And then also just like Mina said, like in our life, because by the way, My birthday was last week. Mina ordered me my birthday present like how many weeks ago?
0: I ordered it a week in advance thinking, hey, this is plenty of time, seven days for her to get this gift. And I asked her today and she still has not received the darn thing. And it's been two weeks. Two weeks. And there's been no notification of delay or anything, right? No, no notification. I did dig to see what day I ordered it and I ordered it on July or not July, June 5th so a week before, right? Cause June 12th is your birthday. And- yeah. And then it's uh, June 20th now. <laughs> yeah. Where the heck is that present? You know?
1: <laughs> and this is coming from an Amazon master who's used to, you know, Amazon prime and shipping her stuff, Amazon prime. And that's something we talk about with people a lot too, where expectations of customers, where you live in this sort of prime world and your expectations of things come happening faster. But I think it's very much about being really clear with your customers. Like if you told me it's going to take five to 10 days to process this and then like up to seven days to ship it, then you know what you're getting into when you're ordering it. So I wonder, do they ever, did, did you get any information on all that?
0: No, I contacted them and I asked them um, if they can leave out the invoice. So then you wouldn't know, you know, how much you paid for one. And then I said, can you throw in a a little note in there, even if it's just typed out or whatever. And I wrote, uh, hey, Jacqueline, have a great day. You know your your business or whatever. I don't know. I can't remember what I wrote. And I said it can just even go into the pick list or whatever. Sometimes the pick list is in there and doesn't have the prices. And then they wrote me back and said, "I'm sorry, we don't offer any customization." <laughs> and that was it. You know. And I was like, "Well, I'll just tell her she's getting a package because, you know, she won't know who it's from because it will say from them." But then how do you know? I mean, you could be getting multiple packages for all I know or zero from this one (laughs) never coming. So, (laughs) So that's where it's at is where is that present? We have no idea. But
1: when you were ordering it, did you see any like was there any indication on how long it would take to process the order and ship it?
0: No, and I didn't look to be honest really. I figured a week was good. I mean, I didn't order on Amazon where I knew it's going to be within 2 days. So I thought, okay, a week is pretty good and um and then there's that weekend time, so sometimes USPS will have that additional Saturday, right? So I thought it was okay, but yeah, 2 weeks is a long time, but it is coming from LA. So I don't know. I mean, there is some <laughs> just I an need LA it.
1: present for an LA girl stuck in <laughs> New Jersey.
0: Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. And so um I figured well, even with that amount of time, if they get it out in a few days, it should be good. But, you know, it might be a day or two late. But this is a full week later and still nothing. So
1: I love me and I so appreciate you sending me a gift. So thank you. <laughs> but that's just a really good sort of learning lesson for everybody where expect, like setting expectations with your customers, right? So being really clear about those dates with them, because then there's assumptions, whether it's assumptions of two weeks is enough time or two weeks is not enough time, you know, where each company actively works in different ways. I have clients that maybe their productions are late, and they had like an expected release date. And I just said, as long as you're upfront with your customers and you tell them like, it's running late, this is happening. Let me throw a discount your way. I'll send an extra gift or whatever it is, but as long as you're communicating, they're communicating. If they're really not happy with the timeline of it, they could, you could also opt for them to cancel, right? But, so that leads us into all of the things we want to talk about today.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot of the time is people will tell you, think about what your unique selling point is, unique selling point, you know, they're beating you over the head with what's your be- a unique selling point. But honestly, sometimes products are not that unique. <laughs> So the way to get around that or to think about it and reframe it so you can better um, get ahead of your competition is to think about it as a competitive advantage. What's your competitive advantage that's not your unique selling point as in the products or the product features and benefits, right? So how can you do better than your competition without only solely relying on unique selling point? So that's kind of what the episode is going to be about.
1: And what's interesting is I had a client yesterday, a potential client, and we were talking and she's doing a clothing line and the clothing line looked like other clothing lines I've seen before beautiful photos it looked like something I'd seen before but her the differentiating part of her stuff was that it was art that her parents created so she was actually using art was there any Was that anywhere front and center on the website no so if I found my way there I would have been looking at the clothes but not understanding the story so there's two different things there but one of the things I said was that unique selling point about the actual product, how to position that or stand out. So there's obviously your stories, but today we want to sort of talk about different things you could do to your business outside of even like your physical product to make you stand out from your competition to make you get ahead. So speaking of what we were talking about, the first thing would be customer service. So awesome, amazing, incredible, unexpected, fantastic customer service.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you a story though, which is so funny. So, Suri and I were out. Suri's my eight year old daughter. And I was like, so tired and so burnt out, right? And I was like, okay, how about we go to Chick fil A and we go through the drive thru because mama doesn't want to go inside anywhere. And she was like, yes, Chick fil A because we hadn't been there in forever. So, we're driving up to the thing and I see two people out by the drive thru with clipboards. And I'm like, oh, last thing I want to do is talk to anybody. So we go up there and I was like, Hey, is your, you know, speaker broken? She's like, no, during lunchtime, we actually come out here and take orders by in person. And I was like, Oh, that must be horrible. <laughs> and she's <laughs> like, yeah, it gets really hot sometimes. But honestly, I did not want to talk to anybody. So I was like, Oh, this is the reason why I went to the drive-thru. So I didn't have to talk to anybody. So I go around the corner And what do you know? A freaking guy at a podium. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I pull up and he's like, hi, Mina, which was nice. I felt bad after that. He's like, hi, Mina, just to confirm your order, here's what it is. And here's your receipt. I was like, okay, great. Thanks. And then we get to the thing, another, my third person I have to talk to. And she's like, okay, here's your order, Mina. And I was like, oh, awesome. Thanks. But I was not in the mood for great customer service. And I was going through the drive-thru to not talk to anybody. So here's the funny part, you guys. Is Jacqueline always talks about the horrible customer service in New Jersey, whereas in Iowa, I'm complaining about having too good of customer service. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why are you talking to me? Why are you smiling?
0: I know a clipboard. Really? You're Can like I just go just behind to the glass.
1: <laughs> Do You like the people Jacqueline deals with at the Starbucks drive thrus
0: <laughs> Yes, <and I> <laughs> you even look me like, in the eyes. <laughs> and the guy under the umbrella and behind the podium I was like come on
1: <laughs> um they do that at in and out in Los Angeles oh, really? like the, yeah where if the lines get really long they actually have like multiple people back like through so you don't have to get up to that point so they can go through the line and take orders faster since the lines so long but Those customer service people.
0: (laughs) So that's what we mean (laughs) about customer service. So Chick-fil-A and In N Out are doing a a competitive advantage of having stellar customer service. Does that work with everybody? No. Will that stop me from going from to Chick-fil-A? Probably not. You know, I was just in a you know. (laughs) I'm not going anymore. They're
1: so nice. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Boycott.
1: You have a hashtag. (laughs) too nice don't go um but but that was the mood that you were in and obviously we we go to places that we you know it just it was the mood you were in Mina's like Mina like she's talked about being an extrovert introvert that you know sometimes you just don't it takes a lot of energy for you to talk to people.
0: Yeah. And three people for an order. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, come on. I give me my can't,
1: fries. <laughs> I, you
0: know, and then you feel like you have to be friendly back. So it's like pulling this energy from your like, oh my God, just give me my damn burger. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to eat
1: cow now. Thanks.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. So that was an example of customer service. That was great. But at the same time, like you can't please everybody all the time and that's okay. You know, but they are just selling when you look at it, chicken sandwiches, right? So there's tons and tons of restaurants that are selling that. And then you have to not really look at, you have to, on top of looking at unique selling point, you have to look at competitive advantage as well. Is
1: your Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays?
0: Yes, it is. I know they are Uh close everywhere.
1: So, all right. So this is one thing I want you to do, our listeners to do, and this is something I did some years back. I want you to think about three companies that have incredible customer service that you've just really enjoyed, like the entire brand and customer service. And so for me, I'll just point out, I've done this exercise before for my business, um, Virgin America, when Virgin America still was, which is like the issue of my life because I was like a loyal member and grew my points. And Are everything. they not around but anymore? They sold to Alaska, Virgin America um. specifically. And Alaska actually has exceptional customer service. So at least they align the brands in that way. But Virgin was very forward, even with like the way the planes were designed and whatnot. So Virgin America and the other one for me was Nespresso, the expensive coffee pods. Um, and this was, some years back that I did this, like, let's call it five years ago. So Nespresso was starting to have like their pop-up boutique shops. They gave you like a really nice leather keychains so that when you went in, like you ha- you were a registered customer, they knew what you had purchased in the past. It's a very like high touch experience there where they, they only sell their pods. There's really places they sell it. So even if you can find at target an espresso machine, you cannot buy the coffee there. So the coffee still has to come from Nespresso. And then the stores, they have little cafes in there. So you get to try a coffee. They feel like little French um, patisseries. You know, they have beautiful cakes and then the, the experience. So that's something that I really liked about that. And then Virgin America, like the customer service is exceptional, including being on the plane.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I used to do when I first started in, um, so this was with the chalk markers that I used to do, which was my first private label product on Amazon. So while I was figuring out the manufacturing for little labels, I was doing private labeling. So this was for chalk markers and the initial people that ordered my chalk markers, I sent them a thank you note and it was a printed thank you note, but it was a custom one, you know, graphic design background and all. And it was a note saying, thank you so much for ordering from our small biz. We consist, uh, basically it was a brand story. My daughter helps me and, um, we're so excited to be on this venture of the, you know, of being on Amazon and we cannot appreciate it more for your support. And then I signed my signature. So these were scanned in and then my daughter did too. And Suri was in kindergarten at that time. So she was S U R I and she would make those big, uh, circles with her eyes it looked. So kiddish and so adorable, and I got a lot of reviews from that. So I sent out maybe like I mean, it was a lot like 400 or something. My first 400 purchases, and then. Um, And then it would show them, you know, don't forget to leave your review, but then they would have to physically go back onto Amazon and do it. And I had a couple of reviews that that said, I've never gotten a note from an online business and this was above and beyond. So even things like that, where it's like later on and not even a handwritten note in your purchase, it leaves a lasting impression on people and then include your, you know, cute little handwriting of a five-year-old, even better, you know? Yeah. So I think like thinking about that, Um, just going back to like the
1: airline idea, the reason I loved Virgin also was that there was always a changing table on every plane. I had been on American or Delta something where they basically, I was traveling alone with my infant child who had just pooped. I went to the bathroom and there was no changing table. And I asked the flight attendant, I was like, is there, what do I do? Are there any flight changing tables? She's like, no. She's like, you could change them on the seat of the toilet. I was like, um, have you been into a bathroom like <laughs> on a plane and the seat so and how awesome. are you going to lay a baby on that? Like, it's not even that you could barely get your own butt on it. And, um, and I, the whole back row of the plane had all of the flight attendant stuff on it. And so there was an entire back row that was empty. Um, I looked at the person sitting next to me because the middle seat was open. And I was like, do you mind if I change my kid here on the seat? Which by the way, everybody, that's poop on a seat, right? Like where people sit, which I wasn't wanting to do. And then the guy behind me had the whole road to himself and he was really nice. Like I'll hear, he's like, come back here, use my seat. So it was like, he was awesome. That flight, I never flew that airline again because of that customer service, which made me even more committed to, let's say a Virgin America because how, Awesome, they were. Let alone like the the plane and what they had, but also them. Like, I remember one time like somebody had offered to take like to help me with my kid. I traveled twenty five times with Oliver by myself, his first year of life, on an airplane across the country. So all I was looking for were people that were helpful. So for every, I want everyone, all of our listeners, to think about their business and how experiences that you've had have lent your lent way to you being even more dedicated to a brand or pulled you away from a brand. And then think about how you can do that for your customers, whether, you know, it's easy returns, even if you're not easy returns, how do you make their life easier? Or how do you respond to their emails? Um, How do you just make, make them dedicated because they know that they can come to you and that you're there for them. So it leads us into what Mina was talking about, which is personalization. So that kind of goes from customer service into personalization of like a letter from an online store, right?
0: Yeah. Even if you have a invoice in there, you can write thanks so much for your order, Mina, and the little happy face is what I always do. Or we have these like black vinyl heart stickers, they're like for chalk markers, you know, which we don't use anymore. So I just stick those on there as well and they can reuse those. And so even those little freebies that are unexpected um, that they're not expecting to get, sometimes I will double people's orders, you know, because they've ordered a ton and I want them to try out a specific thing. Like I'll usually put in the blank ones and then that way they can use them for their home and everything. And I know that they'll like them. But things like that. You let like them that, know it's free, or yeah, I do. Yeah. I write on the na- um, on the thing. I'll say, threw in some freebies for you. Enjoy, and then I'll write like a little heart or something. And oh. those are for people that I notice their names coming back up. So I'll do that for specific people, and not so much for everybody.
1: Which is awesome, like because it. Then you go to the person that's like, do they call you and tell you they got too many or do they just kind of take it?
0: (laughs) People do feel bad about it. That's why I always say that um, it's free because otherwise they might feel guilty that they got double. That's kind of how my mother-in-law is. She'll be like, oh, I got too many. Here you go. You know, let me pay. I insist on paying for them, something like that. So then I always, you know, I just give them for free and then I make a note of it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So personalization. So customer service aligning with personalization in terms of we're not so there's a few things like think about whether you're going walking into a boutique um and how they might make it like I love when I go to toy stores and they have wrapping paper. Uh-huh. There. And so like you, if you, cause most of the time if I'm going to a toy store, I'm buying a gift and if they could wrap it for me, there's something that makes it special, removes like a thing that I'd have to do. I'd have to go buy paper and a bow and it's never going to look as cute. So if they're just doing it, it's actually worth to me the price of paying for like a physical toy store and not having to then, you know, and getting the wrapping, let's say for free.
0: Do you have Bed Bath & Beyond where you are? I do. They have free gift wrapping stations and you wrap it yourself, but they have really cool stuff like a bow maker and things like that yeah. so, and fancy wraps. So then like if you have a wedding gift, I used to always get wedding gifts there and wrap them up in there and they have their signature one too. It's always the same wrapping paper. So you know that that thing is from Bed Bath & Beyond and people associate it with that. And then it's like a gorgeous bow because it's from a bow maker, you yeah. know, and, and then it looks really nice too. But those are free and I love that.
1: Which is a reason that like, if you were driving and going into a physical store, you'd be like, oh, that problem, that solves a problem for me. You could purchase it. And the the wrapping is right out like outside of the register. Right. So things like that, I think for me that are kind of personalized because it's meeting a need that I need versus like running to wherever and trying to get a, I was in, I had a birthday present to give someone and I didn't have a gift. I had ordered it on Amazon or a gift bag. And so I was at like a New York CVS basically trying to find a gift bag big enough for this giant kid toy. And in New York, like at this one, they didn't have giant bags, you know, so I kind of put myself in this like panic of how am I going to give this kid this present and not look like it's in like a shopping bag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And this gift that I sent you, your Day gift is really cool that we could have used it as the gift for, we've been trying to pick a gift for people that have been podcast guests and maybe people that are in our mastermind, basically our go-to gift for people. And um, this could have been the gift had they been like, yeah, totally. I could throw in a typed up note and and then they could have gotten tons of orders from us. But now Wah, wah, you know. (laughs) And for your
1: birthday that's coming up next month, Um, I also- (laughs) You're going to have to order it now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I started talking about it because of this, but um, I also am looking at doing something like personalized because like I could get you something. We could each get each other things, you know, like we could get, I don't know, we're moms, but something that we think that the other person would like. But if it's personalized, it makes it more special. So there's also the personalization where people can- up, pay more and have your product personalized for them. Right.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, even if they pay a couple bucks more or that's if they have a note card or whatever, but if they, um, had, are you talking about personalization as in like the first letter of their name or things like that? I think, yeah. I mean,
1: I think in a lot of ways, like for example, if you're going to buy somebody I don't know, like a bag, but then if the bag could be personalized, it kind of, you'd be like, oh, that's even more special. I'm not sure if they're going to love this bag, but if I personalize it for them, it might feel more special. So there's that.
0: Yeah. um, And they will never give it away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe if I had an M, but I use this one, Mina bag. It's from, um, what's that? Bean one, LL Bean. (laughs) Mina on there, and that's what I use for my computer when I'm at home, not when I'm traveling. But um, I love it because it says Mina on there, and I got it as a wedding gift, you know, when I was a bridesmaid. So, yeah, it does make it, it gives it this significance that the rest don't have, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And then also the personalization of just like you said, like that handwritten note as a thank you. Um, something that's like you order all the time. I wanted to throw you on a freebie. It's like, oh, there's actual people behind this business, not robots.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, it could be just like even a little pin that says you're awesome or something, something that is like 10 cents, but people like that kind of stuff, you know? So think about it that way. That could be your competitive advantage that kind of folds into customer service because it is just another level of customer service. But should we move on to the next one? Yeah. So the next one would be location. Yeah. Location. So this could be a really big competitive advantage. I feel like, especially around here, people rally behind the people that are local to them. So, um, if I were to do a Facebook ad that said Inkeny mom, um, just launched, um, you know, labels company and all the Inkeny schools get 30% off, you know, or all the Ankeny moms get 30% off and they have the coupon code. People in Ankeny are more likely to click on that or that you had a press release that went out, you know, that's, the whole idea of the press release and being local is that people love to support people who are local. Even if I said Midwest, right? I mean, you get that with people that are Southern too. There's such a loyalty to being Southern and, you know, probably East coast, West coast too. Jacqueline is torn, (laughs) torn between the two. (laughs) If it were the nineties, I wouldn't know which way to go. I know. I know (laughs) Biggie Smalls or Tupac, you know.
1: (laughs) I was actually just explaining to a much younger person what used to be between East coast, West coast. and that Snoop dog who's now a game show host was not that in the early 90s <laughs> um but but location also so i was consulting a client the other day and she's going to be in florida for an event um like a trade show event with her product and even that i was like what could she layer on top of it so her location of being in florida like can she pitch her business to some local news stations or bloggers or stores or anything like that that's like we're physically going to be here trying to get people within that location to visit so Mina and I are have a bunch of travel plans for the rest of the year and we're going to be in L or in Southern California for an event and we're going to do an in-person mastermind when we're there and we're thinking about other places that we can go that maybe our clients or our listeners are that we can throw an event so for example if I'm in on the East Coast or I'm let's say call it New York I'm in New York I could Put together an event for people that are my New York people, you know. Or if you're in a Facebook group, like shout out to Hoboken Moms group. <laughs> but a group that I'm in. Um, even within that community, if I was selling little labels, I'd be like, "Hey, moms, like take a look at this." And I've got these different communities that I'm a part of. So location, location, location. And and if it's not even your personal location, if you're going to be somewhere, I've told clients like try and do a one day like pop up shop. At a store, at one of the stores that you go to, like if you're going on a vacation or you have a wedding to go to or something like that, can you also layer that on?
0: Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to be sling in product. You know, you don't have to be selling those products to those local people. It could be collaborations, like those Hoboken moms could you could be bringing offline to online. So collaborating for an online giveaway or something. So let's say one of those Hoboken moms, they're not in the Mom Biz products, but they have. I don't know a service-based company that I could collaborate with them for giveaways you know so anything like that where you're able to collaborate with people and it has a local um, aspect to it I think it does really well this episode was brought to you by our new mastermind program, Holiday to Halo. You get the guidance of both myself and Jacqueline as your coaches inside an amazing group of fellow product-based business owners. Starting in September, we'll be getting a head start and ramping up to make a big impact on sales for the Cyber Five, which is Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday. Then on to Christmas revenue strategy and to boost your growth into the new year, We'll be setting your business up for Halo sales into Q1. We would love for you to join us. Go to theproductboss.com slash mastermind for more information. And we're back, everyone. So um, in that meantime of having that ad pop up, (laughs) we actually lost internet. We went to a completely separate day and we are re-recording this um, second half of this episode. So it might sound a little bit differently. Just to recap what we did before ad, um, we talked about your competitive advantage for customer service and location. So being local. So those are your two things that even though you might not have a special unique feature of your Products, you also would be able to gain a competitive advantage by having stellar customer service and um, being where you are, you know, people rallying behind you for your local appeal, I guess. Hashtag local. Yes, exactly. And so going back into it, um, competitive advantage again is really what you're doing that your competitors are not doing. And sometimes your product alone is not enough to stand out. You know how we're always hitting everybody over the head with unique selling point. These are just things that you can think about that can add to that. So next one, I know that Jacqueline was really excited to say this a little bit of, uh, (laughs) of you and your... So the next one is being you. You are your unique you know, your competitive advantage. So your connections, your network, your skills. So Jacqueline, do you remember what your cool saying was? No, do you? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I do. It was know how or know someone. So if you don't have the know-how, you have to know someone that knows the know-how. Do you want to get into that?
1: It. Yeah, you guys. I mean, we're kind of cracking up over here looking at each other because we recorded this, I think, maybe two weeks ago. And
0: yeah, we're digging all, deep in our memories.
1: <laughs> all of Mina's um, electric went out in the entire city. And so we had recorded the rest of this podcast same day, um, but via phone recordings. And then she was listening to it and it didn't come out that great. So we're actually recording it now because we were so excited about this episode. So, bear with us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was such good information. I was like, we cannot cut out the whole entire episode. Let's just re-record the second half again.
1: So anyway, so your know-how or know someone. So that's part of, I mean, as uh, for my business, the designer consulting co-op, part of the reason that we're successful and people hire us is because we know someone. So whether you're hiring a professional to sort of uh, coach you through it and then connect you. So that's a big part of my business is that I connect my clients with the right people to, let's say, create their clothing line, their accessory line, even to the point I have some clients that are working with sales reps that I know that are helping sell their business. So or sell their product. So that's part of it. And also knowing someone, I mean, there's also, for example, I mean, Mina, when you did little labels, you figured out how to know someone, you found the right manufacturer through for you to get these labels done because you found you know, you found this uh, contractor that did something and then you're like, oh, I think they can do this. And that's how you sort of created your label. So that's your competitive advantage because you actually have that contractor that's yours and super top secret and is proprietary, which is why Little Labels is so successful and made in the US.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So let's say you find like the people, so let's say I'm not manufacturing in the US. There's people that have secret freight forwarders, for instance, that check the quality control of their inventory that comes in from China. They do not share those people. Also, if let's say they have a fabulous graphic designer on their team or a web developer or a marketer, they don't share those people. So that can be your competitive advantage is your skill set or somebody else's skill set or just that connection of your network. So one of our masterminers, her dad was into manufacturing and he had he, she was. Well, he, he creates
1: like luggage trunks, like beautiful trunks, and mm-hmm. so she and and so she kind of grew up in that business. And when she decided to, actually, we just I just shouted her out on our Instagram. So it's <laughs> Katharina out of the UK, um, and so she has this lineage to her dad, where he's creating these big l- trunks that are beautiful, and so she created these mini ones as purses. So she had the ability to quickly fast forward. Knowing like the design, the material, knowing what she wanted to do, and then getting to the right contractor. Plus, her dad I mean, I don't her dad's in the business, so she kind of grew up knowing how to run this business.
0: And she didn't have to go through, even though I have that manufacturer now, it took me 12. 12- people that i talked to before i heard something of a maybe we can do it you know with her she already had the in of somebody teaching her the language and showing her this can be done this can't be done and she was able to adjust her idea accordingly and then really make it something that was feasible and possible in the manufacturing world because sometimes our dreams don't come true in the capabilities of a machine you know being manufactured so that's something I would friggin love to have a manufacturing in somewhere and then just come up with a product that was within my scope of things and then adjust it accordingly. That would be really cool.
1: But let's dig deeper, even like your connections and your network. So outside of that person, so for example, she, um, her name's Katie from Catherine. We're gonna put this in the show notes because I friggin love her bags, and I posted them all over New York on our Instagram. I but, know. Um,
0: I saw that bag, and I wanted to get the twin one. So I might be twinning with you soon. I love the black and white one that you showed. You know, so side side note there. Side
1: note.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and it is
1: so cute, but what I wanted to say though, is like, let's just talk about network. She was in our mastermind, right? Um, so she did a, a, mastermind group coaching with us and then through our group. So through our Facebook community, met Lauren Copal, who's been on the, the, um, the podcast as well. They are now accountability partners. And I know a sales rep that I, because she hasn't really brought the company over into the United States yet. And I know a sales rep that could sort of fast forward her by connecting her to a couple uh, sales reps to bring her over to this side of the pond. So just by being a part of our mastermind, being in our community, she was able to find an accountability partner who also lives on the East Coast who could probably connect her with some places because Lauren's so good at uh, connecting people. And then also by working with us that I, I don't have sales reps for everybody, but sometimes there's something I can kind of fast forward and take people a little bit further. So with her, I I connected her with a sales rep. So right there added, like she grew her network and her connection. So I want you guys to also think, who do you know? So, um, We've also talked about somebody, well, somebody else in our mastermind actually has a really good friend who is a publicist. And so by working with that publicist, that publicist was able to sort of sh- shortcut her or not working, but giving her, you know, friend advice and say, this is how you should send it to this celebrity and that celebrity. And so think about the people, you know, and what they can do for you. Cause people are always willing to do favors. Or if you give, if you give them a gift or a really great thank you, you know, that that's what's going to really push you forward. That's how so much of my Designer Consulting Co op, the business that comes to me is through vendors I work with um, or fabric mills that are like, oh, you want to start a clothing line? You should call Jacqueline at Designer Consulting Co op because technically you sound like you have no idea of what you're doing. So call this person. (laughs)
0: Exactly. It really is. You either have to know it or know someone, but you are your competitive advantage. So dig a little bit deep on who you know and who you could tap into and also dig deep into your own personal experiences. So my graphic design background has really led me to really be competitive. So I have this brilliant idea. As always. (laughs) (laughs) It could be, you know, which might make them all, you know, the same level brilliant, which is not so brilliant. Um, But so when I first started Fuji Design, which was my graphic design company, I sent out direct mail. And that was how I got my first uh, client, which was a commercial real estate management company. And it was all the way in Boston. And they got one of my brochures in the mail. Keep in mind, this is when direct mail was in, okay? So we're talking 2004 here. And so I got a really huge client. Commercial real estate is no joke. They make money. And so they were so impressed by my brochure that they hired me during that time. And that was my first official client. So during that time, I was trying to get onto Elance, which is what Upwork is now. And so it's like a forum, not a forum. It's like a platform where people can buy jobs, you know, like they can hire freelancers. Well, I was barely getting anybody on there and certainly not somebody as big as a commercial real estate company. So thinking about that, I was like, you know what? I got my big break for graphic design with direct mail. So brilliant idea here. I'm going to do a direct mailing for a little labels, doing a friends and family discount. Plus direct mail is not that expensive compared to Facebook ads. Well, I guess... That's a you know pretty subjective, but like a postcard for instance is thirty five cents to send out. I could send them a postcard. I could send out a thousand. That's three hundred fifty dollars, and I could see what their response rate is by a coupon, and maybe I get a daycare that gets that, and and then they buy a whole bunch of labels, and then that in essence, um, so two thousand four. I'm going to do some quick math here. Fourteen years later, it becomes my big break. Or direct mail. So, what do you think? So, what do you think? So, so just
1: into coaching.
0: Um, but Are
1: you sending just a? You're sending a postcard talking about little labels.
0: And I'm sending cards? a. Um, I'm going to do it as our big, biggest sale of the year. Okay. So it would be a postcard saying biggest sale of the year, friends and family, thirty five percent off. Um, you're getting this because you know you're on our list of VIP people or something. I don't know.
1: And how do you get their? How do you get their addresses?
0: Well, I have them from Amazon. Okay.
1: Oh, so Amazon Amazon shares the addresses with you?
0: Yeah, because you get to see who you're shipping to, but you don't get their phone number or their email address, but you do have their addresses.
1: So you can niche down and just send to like anyone that's ordered, let's say in Iowa. Yeah,
0: I might do Iowa.
1: So, okay. So then my next thing that I really liked what you said was the preschools. So what if instead you sent... I don't know if you've got like a one sheet that you could send, like instead of your three packs, if you could send just one single sheet as, well, that's a postcard. Or you send post, you look up the nursery schools and preschools and actually instead your your mailing goes to preschools, like if you're able to research that.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit more. Um, so the envelope would be a cost, let's say 10 cents. Okay. The mailing would be 50 cents. And then the cost of samples and then let's say a cost of a letter. So we're talking more like a dollar or, you know, like 80 cents versus, um, But you know what? People might be more willing to open up an envelope than they are willing to look at a postcard. So, you know, direct mail in itself. So thinking about that competitive advantage, I know a lot about direct mail. That was my start. And that was what I did a lot of. I did, I only did print pieces. There was always people that wanted to hire me for website stuff. I didn't do any of that stuff. Then I got into annual reports, but I always did brochures, postcards. So I think that that is a mystery platform of marketing that I know a lot about that the average person might not off of Amazon. So competitive advantage.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And local, if we're going back to local, local and marketing, because there's like nextdoor.com also Uh where they'll actually ask you if you want to
0: send 30 postcards to your neighbors
1: to get them on it because it's all about community, right?
0: Yeah. It's called Every Door Direct Mailing. They call it EDDM. You can do that anywhere. You can actually niche all the way down to some areas, um, uh, income. So, and then also how many people they have on their household. Keep in mind, this is from a census too. So it might be a little bit off by a couple of years, but let's say I'm looking for somebody that has an average of, when I was looking at it in Ankeny, because originally my idea was for Ankeny where I live, I was looking for households that had like 2.5 average person, which means that they have like a little one there usually, you know, in a mix of like a an up-and-coming neighborhood. And then I was also looking for people that had more of an income. So then they weren't like apartment dwellers, you know, that maybe their kids weren't in school yet um, and settled down. So yeah, um, it's called Every Door Direct Mail. You can have specific sizes that are bigger. Um, There's definitely a lot of room for creative thinking. Yeah, that's a lot.
1: So let's move on to the next one.
0: Yeah. So size. the next one, size. Yes. So my it's biggest... the size that counts or does it? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely counts in this scenario. Um, so um, for so just think, so Avery Labels is my main competitor. They're way bigger than I am, but my advantage is that I'm very small, so it can pivot a lot quicker. You know, wouldn't you think that that would be easier for testing things out? Yeah, because big
1: companies have entire... I mean boardrooms of people, there's so many levels of people that have to sit down and make decisions. Um, You know, from marketing to, you know, different, like the VP of whatever it is, you know, everyone has to sit down and make these decisions. So when you have a small business, you can pivot, change, update, add designs, do all of these things. Obviously we want you to have some sort of research to it, but most of the time there's you're the one making that decision. You don't have to run it by a bunch of people. Maybe you have some investors that have a say in the business, you know, but then there's, you have proof to the pudding. Like you're basically like, this is why we're going to do this because I see this happening. Um, so the size of your business also allows you to quickly, like you can see a problem, navigate through it and quickly change, or you can see a trend and add to your business to follow that trend
0: yeah and you could do it very quickly so whereas you can this is basically a reframe of mind some people might be like oh i'm such a little ant compared to my elephant competitor and i there's no way i can get up to that point they can just squash me like an ant but really you can pivot very very quickly i should have used a mouse right because then you can stomp on the mouse the mouse yeah. and the elephant anyway so you're in the mouse now and <laughs> and you can move around where the competitor is a slow mover you're a quick mover and you. You're just able to, um, quickly get to where they are or even have a little bit of the, you know, the market. I do want to say though, they're not your competitor. Like like, let's
1: just say I have people that come to me, they want to start an activewear brand. And I ask them who their competitor is and they say Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not your competitor. All of these big businesses now, now you are a bigger business for sure. And you're super niche, right? So Avery, so there's a part of Avery Labels that you compete with, but they don't, they're not as cute as you. Like they're, they're, they're different. They're, they're like office products, right? And where they're sold, it's office um
0: But Avery Labels thinking? bought out Mabel's Labels. So oh, they are my competitor. The Does Avery
1: Mabel's- Labels want to buy out little labels now? Let's right? see. Oh my gosh.
0: They got like a... <laughs> I don't even know what it was. I'm sure it was like 10 figures. Um, but So they're a Canadian company, but they do mostly custom stuff. But they do have a line of um, like right on washable labels, just like me. They're formatted different, like up on a sheet that looks completely different. So I'm guessing it's just different machine, right? And so that's just a part of their business. I'm not sure what they're going to do with it. And that I didn't even discover that till recently. And I think that the buyout was like A few years ago, so um, yeah, Avery labels for especially my clothing labels because they're—I don't know—I have a lot of nursing home people that buy those clothing labels, so they are for sure like they. We look at their prices to adjust our prices, type of thing. But that's because Amazon puts you on the same, you know, playing field as them, um, and I'm on the same page. So digitally, you could be their competitor because you're on the same page or on the same listing thing as them. And maybe not so much in like thinking of Lululemon and a boutique, you know?
1: Yeah. So, and then, but then if you, let's, again, so let's say you go to revolve.com and you're looking at the brands there. Well, yeah, they might be much bigger brands like Aloe Yoga and they're, they've they got like flag, flagship stores now in New York and LA. So obviously there's a lot of money there, But the but, and so you have to define yourself as like why? and we'll get into this next is like a niche, but why your brand? Like why do they need to buy another pair of yoga pants? Why, 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 why? And then the the fact that you can be innovative because as a smaller company, you can be innovative and creative, which is also one of the other points that we're gonna talk about but you can just test things and do things with with less risk if you're able to do them in smaller batches, like smaller quantities. Um, and then like you said, yeah, I, I agree actually.
0: Online, some of these people are their competitors. Yeah. So the next one, as Jacqueline was alluding to, is niche. Your competitive advantage could be a particular niche that you pick. So for me, I could make my labels into a, you know, we were talking about like jeep enthusiasts you know i could put like jeep on there though i shouldn't if it's licensed Uh, let's say i do and i could sell it to enthusiasts that love jeep and are willing to spend the money on it so i think that when you pick your niche that could truly be your standalone competitive advantage is the niche that you choose
1: yeah so we had a client um named game day panties and basically what they did is they they were very similar to their the Trend in underwear, let's say were these like hanky pinky lace top thongs basically um, underwear and v- Victoria's Secret sold it. all these other places were selling it. It was like a, it's a very popular shaped underwear, um, for women. And, but what their niche was is that they did them in game, game colors, like game day. So Lakers, purple and yellow, you know, um, I'm just going to refer to LA people since that's my thing, but like, or like, <laughs> <laughs> let's say the, what, the New York Yankees, like, what are they? Gray and blue or white and blue. I think Dodgers are white and blue. Um, if it was like UCLA or UC schools, it's blue and yellow or crimson and gold. So, what they did is they were able to niche down even more so to like a trendy underwear, but to people who were uh, sports enthusiasts and that wore the colors of the teams that they supported. And so that was like super, super niche down, which then allowed them to compete in this really flooded market where let's say Hinky Pinky started these, uh, this underwear and then Victoria's Secret, which is mass, mass market was selling them. And so their competitive advantage was one, quality. Two, they made them in the U.S. And the main thing was that the color combinations that you could get were so specific. They didn't need everybody to buy them. They just needed people who cared about the sports team's colors to buy them.
0: Yeah. And this is super effective if your niche is fanatical about something special. You know, game day people are very superstitious. They want to wear the colors. If it's like people who are really into boating or really into um, hiking or, you know, even foodies or something, you know, like having a niche that's fanatic about something and willing to pay the money and has the money is something that could really be your competitive advantage and they're willing to buy products that fit into that parameter. Mm -hmm,
1: Absolutely. And I mean, your niche could also go down to something customizable. Um, not everyone should do things that are customizable, but if someone's paying extra, so for example, uh, Pottery Barn Kids, does. they were one of the first ones to start bringing customization back to kids' stuff, where uh, I feel like when we were younger, there were, there was always that like paint-on customized type stuff, like very hand-done, where you can get kids' towels with their names on it, you can get backpacks with their like names on it, all these things with embroidery. And so when you're looking like when you're willing to spend that money on the backpack, if you're buying it from, you know, Pottery Barn Kids, so it's already like a really expensive backpack. You're putting that money in, you're willing to pay that extra $7, $12 for that customization. Cause it kind of, it, it adds. So even if they're not fanatical, there's, there's things that are very niche that you can imagine who the Pottery Barn Kids parents are, you know, even based on the the ads that they're doing and the way that the rooms are are created and stuff. Like, you know, that these people have more money to spend. They buy, like, I'm not going to say the best, but
0: they spend a lot of money on ridiculous things. (laughs) And they spend on things that they, you know, are from Pottery Barn. So the specific designs, another parent can see, oh, they they have that from Pottery Barn and then they spent the extra seven or $12 or whatever it is. So then it's just like really um, that niche has money to spend and they want people to be aware of the fact that that's from Pottery Barn. kind of status. Yeah. And if it was like a plain one that had no design and pretty ambiguous of where it was from, they would not buy it. You know, and when I
1: say ridiculous, I am that ridiculous person because side note, my daughter's obsessed with princesses and they had, I don't love the generic like Disney princess type things, right? Like a giant <laughs> bell on a shirt, not my deal. But they had really cute printed like backpack with all the Disney princesses and a water bottle and like sheets. And it was like a classier, prettier way of doing it. I bought into all that. I don't even know why I spent the money I did on a backpack and sheets, but I did it because it, for me... I can't stop my daughter from living princesses, but I do not want to buy her
0: like Disney store type stuff. This has been an ongoing battle between me and my mother-in-law. She <laughs> loves like a big Dora head on a skirt. Yeah, can't and stand it. And I, I just can't, you know, like <gasps> it just drives me bonkers. And then I have to wear those clothes on my kids, you know, a yeah. big Dora head and like super tacky stuff. And I'm just like, oh, you know. But the crazy thing is that my youngest at least loves that stuff. Like, there's yeah. nothing she loves more than a freaking giant size princess head, you know, that's over the top on a super frilly, tacky looking shirt. Like, yeah. yeah so. those,
1: those, those companies know <laughs> how to market to our kids. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, so, but, but, so that's kind of like the niche. So then I think the last one that we want to tackle is creativity. So, it, creativity, I think, is overall being an entrepreneur, being a product boss, overall, you need to have creativity because really you need to think on your toes, think outside the box and decide how you're going to be different. Um, And so what would you say about, what would you say about creativity?
0: I think that there's definitely more creative people than others. And if the more creative you are, the more successful you'll be because you can figure out how to solve a problem. You can figure out how to market to people differently. You stand out where everybody else is like blending in. Um, I definitely have been more creative just by having Jacqueline in my world. You know, she's super creative. I'm super creative. Put together, we're freaking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so we say ourselves. Yeah, so, we say, so what is that you say? Self dubbed. <laughs> Self dubbed geniuses. <laughs> But I'm just saying, like people can up level your creativity. And if you can be the type of person that points that out for people or that brings that out in someone else that you're like, hey, you know what we're doing in this industry, you should do that in this industry too. Or one of the examples that I like to give is, so there's like a lot of brand ambassadors, let's say you have brand ambassadors for your clothing, your clothing boutique or whatever. Well, one of the things that you could do instead of just having them be brand ambassadors and have pretty photos that you post up on Instagram, those people could truly become the voice of your brand and become your bloggers too. So right there, a twist, a tweak on what a normal role in a marketing um, strategy is where they're just normally ambassadors. Ambassadors are usually photo heavy. But let's say hey, you want to be our blogger too and submit one blog post per month? We would love that. And then that is like a creative idea. We're adding onto their role or tweaking something into a creative way, but super simple that could help you, you know, gain more market share.
1: And then, you know, as a product-based biz, I sort of mentioned this to Mina before, which is a lot, it's a lot of things, but let's just say Cuff's Couture. So when I had Thought about Cuff's Couture. Wrist wallets were not an invention. There's patents for wrist wallets. Lululemon had them. Um, you know, they were, they were like kind of cheap zipper ones, you know, when you're running, like where to put your cash, like while you're out, for people who are really jogging and stuff like that. So it was for outdoor enthusiasts. It was for sports people. And when I did it, I basically pivoted the idea and moved it into how I said was like, fashion aficionado. I was inspired by a night out with my girlfriends. We were on the dance floor and my bag was getting in the way. And I just wished I could have like had my credit card and lip gloss and key, um, like key for your car or whatever you were doing. At this point, people are just taking Ubers to clubs. So it's like even more (laughs) on the out (laughs) because people don't have their keys anymore. And anyways, you could, there's all sorts of technology that's changed, but my idea was basically shifting it from the sports person to something that was a wearable accessory that was also functional. And, but it was, you were talking about this, Mina, like when you're the first into a market that there's a lot of education, like there's a huge learning curve. So that was, I think the biggest struggle for my business was when I went to trade shows and markets, I literally would stand up and look at people and say, Hey, have you heard about Cuffs Couture? And they're probably like looking around like, Oh, she's talking to me. And then why? Like, I don't no, am I supposed to hear about Cuff's Couture? And then I'm like, and then I would go into my spiel. And so, so it was basically like educating them. Like I would literally, as they're walking by, start opening up the wrist wallets. So they could see I had things inside, you know, it was like visual and talking to them. And, but the harder part was it being physically in a store and the sell through because you also needed your salesperson to sell it for you. So it's not to say I didn't do well. I mean, I, I did do well. I had like Kim Kardashian and like Audrina Patridge and Uh, Carrie Underwood, like all sorts of people wore them and bought them and sold them across the world. I was like in 60 stores, but but there was that learning curve. So I was one of the first to market, but then there was a huge kind of battle against teaching people what I was doing.
0: Yeah. So let's flip that idea for a second, right? So right now people have bigger phones and they aren't using Cuffs Couture like they used to because you essentially would be fitting your Um, key, let's say your your house key and your driver's license and your money, your cash. So let's flip that idea creatively thinking to make it fit some other idea. So let's say instead now you're going to be targeting it towards millennials who love to travel and love to unplug. So now it's called the Bali cuff or whatever and you know so that it has that prestige right bali is beautiful and then they don't hold their phone in it it's a secret cuff because when you're traveling in internationally you don't want to have your phone out constantly and also you don't want to show your purse right you're not going to be you know having your purse there so it's like a secret hidden travel cuff that you have your let's say your cash and your key and um it's a travel cuff and it's called the bali cuff and then now creative idea, different market, uncharted territory again. But, you know, it's a different idea of thinking about it and then also making it fit what it could be. It could potentially be. You could be Are marketing you, to millennials. <laughs> Are you saying I have to go pull out the thousands of them that I just put <laughs> in the trash? <laughs> yes, you do. Did you not get my Voxer?
1: <laughs> so I was trying to get it onto to forever and they've Change their buyers, and so so we're talking about hits. We get people talking about this all the time. Like, what do I do with my product? And for me, it was like, how long am I going to drag these cups around? And so Zulily was like, Ah, oh, right now we don't need, we don't have a use for them, and maybe around the holidays. And so it's like, get them out of my office. I'm done with them. <laughs> but they might be in
0: my garage upstairs. <laughs> yeah, get them out of there. I think that we should at least try to remarket them. And Zulily is a platform. This is what people do all the time on Amazon. They have a product. You actually have your own product. They remarket it in a specific way, and they have the platform to do it, you know? So you're not creating the platform. You're not creating your own Cuffs Couture website or Bali Cuffs website. You are going on to somebody else's platform, so Zulily, and marketing it in a theme, Millennial Travelers, and seeing if it hits. I think it's worth a try. But this is what brought us together. So thank God for Cuffs Couture. <laughs> That's why Jacqueline was so willing to throw them away. You've served your purpose. See you later, Cuffs. You
1: found me, Mina. We launched a podcast. Because um, if you're listening to the story or if you haven't, don't know our story, basically, I connected with Mina through a community that we were a part of because I was like, oh, you're selling on Amazon. I have all this extra inventory of Cuffs. I want to sell on Amazon. And your advice to me was, unless you're growing this business and scaling it, Amazon's not worth it to just sort of liquidate inventory. So the last year has been milling around on how to liquidate inventory. And so I guess my garbage <laughs> is not yet the place to liquidate. No, inventory.
0: it definitely is not. You put the effort into moving it into your new house and I know. It probably is like these damn cuffs. Um, <laughs> so yeah, dig them out. We are going to do it and we're just going to do it to test out things, you know, we yeah. have to have a million dollar idea
1: here. And all of these, and all of these ups and downs, just so everybody knows, since we we also have our own product businesses and we, we also go through this. So we don't have all the answers sometimes when it comes to ourselves, but it actually it's not answers. It's the problem solving. It's like finding solutions and, and navigating through it because there's always going to be, um, like rough seas ahead. Let's do another analogy. Like you're on a ship. <laughs> Love it. But there's always going to be something that comes up and you're always going to be working on your business or in your business. And so it's sort of getting creative with what to do with it. And, um, and so we go through it too. So actually if we do try this, we'll update you guys on what I end up doing with it. All I can think about is that I have to do more photos.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's essentially, you know, just time, a little bit of time. Yeah. So the I think the moral of this episode and the whole complete lesson is that anywhere you are, there in your entrepreneurial journey, there's going to be and ups and downs, like what Jacqueline said. But you can gain competitive advantages just by tweaking certain things. So going down the list of what we went over today, kind of, you know, split in two, is you can have amazing customer service. You could tap into your local market. You could you know, look at your own connections and your own network, you could really leverage your size and your agility or your not so much agility, your money power, if you're super bonkers big, you could tap into a different niche or, you know, go deeper into your own niche. And then you could also be just a creative thinker and then head into uncharted territory and um, be creative and, you know, tweak, tweak what you need to do to be your competitive advantage. (laughs) So
1: we'd love to hear from you guys. If you want to head over to Facebook and join our community, we would love to chat with you and talk to you about what you feel like your strongest competitive advantages, what you've done in your business. That really was the thing that kind of helped you stand out or maybe shifted, like started that, like catapulted you forward in a way that you didn't have at first and you, you took action in something, you did something and it really moved you forward. So head on over to Facebook, the product boss. It's our private
0: community. And we'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Thanks everyone. This episode was brought to you by our new mastermind program, Holiday to Halo. You get the guidance of both myself and Jacqueline as your coaches inside an amazing group of fellow product-based business owners. Starting in September, we'll be getting a head start and ramping up to make a big impact on sales for the Cyber Five, which is Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday. Then on to Christmas revenue strategy and to boost your growth into the new year, We'll be setting your business up for Halo sales into Q1. We would love for you to join us. Go to theproductboss.com slash mastermind for more information.
1: Loved this episode of the Product Boss Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We would so appreciate it.